Good morning. Good morning. So glad to see all of you here this morning. Whether you're checking in online or here in person, um, we're just so glad you're here and you made the decision to seek after God this morning. So I just pray that that would be your heart uh, this morning. You'll recognize we have some uh, new faces on our platform this morning. Uh, new and old. They've been around. But these are um, my family, my lovely um, sister and brother-in-law, Jenna Cole Wilson that are going to join us this morning. So we brought in the ringers. Yeah, they are, they are awesome. So glad to have them singing with us. Would you stand and would you join us to sing about our God being here this morning? He's at work in our lives. Yes, he is coming. I see joy. 
Southwoods uh, this week. We have midweek on Wednesday, and I just really, really want to encourage you. Oh, that's getting ahead of myself, but midweek this Thursday, I really want to encourage you to be fully devoted, to be there. This is, this is such, such a great, great opportunity for you to just fully, fully give God your whole life. And I, and I recognize that <laughs> middle of the week, it's like, in the middle of the hubbub and busyness, but when we just, when we give our lives to Christ, it's not, well, Lord God, I'll give you my Sundays. That's your whole, it's your whole week. And so this midweek is just such a great time for us to really check in and go, yeah, God, I'm all yours, all yours. So I encourage you to come to that. The other thing we have for you to be actively in his word throughout the week is another study coming up. We've been doing a lot of these. These have been awesome. We have a study on Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes says, vanity, vanity, or Solomon says, all is vanity. He had everything. This study, not vanity. It's worth worth your while, okay? Um, and because we can really glean a lot from that. So definitely check those out. And other things that have been happening here at Southwoods, we had a great, super fun father-daughter dance this past Friday. So I want you to check out this video. Welcome to the father-daughter dance. Better get here soon. Thank you. 
Well, that was so much fun. Uh, we look forward to the next annual one. Uh, we're going to head into a new song. And um, I did, I did want to, I have one more thing that we always want to make sure we hit, just so that if you're new and you don't know, there are three ways you can be giving here at Southwoods. And I uh, just want you to see that on the screen, in person, online, or by mail. Make sure that you, just so you know, you're not like, oh, well, I have this book. All right, so you can check that out. But we do, we're going to head into a new song. And uh, I just want to give it a quick prep. You're going to recognize um, the story of this song. It comes from the Old Testament, um, and it is about uh, the nation of Israel um, being delivered and rescued by their God, who heard them the whole time, all 400 years of, or more of slavery. Um, he heard them, and so then he's, he's delivering them. And you'll hear different parts of that story and God's faithfulness throughout that, but it's not, he's, he's here, right? Our God is here, he's, he's coming, and, and as we were singing it, so it's not an old story, just like he did that for them, he's the same God, and he, he's, he can do that for you. He is doing that for people all the time. He's a God of redemption and deliverance, so uh, listen for that, and uh, pray that you would just uh, relate with the words, and not to, you know, to the old words, and I pray that they would be a fresh wind for you as we sing this.
greet one another this morning.
such assurance, such peace in knowing who you are. And we know it, God, because we've seen it time and time and time and time again throughout, throughout all the ages, God, from when you created to your people, to Israel, to, to reaching the whole world. You have been faithful through it all. God, we, we thank you so much. Lord, we just give you our hearts of gratitude. And I pray that we, we just find peace and assurance, assurance, Lord, of who you are. If we do not know that this morning, God, that, that you would just be so evident through your word. Lord, thank you for never changing because we need that reminder over and over. We always forget. God, help us not to forget. Help us to love you. Praise in your son's name. Amen. You may have a seat. Now, I did already seat you, but as we head into communion, you don't have to stand, but I, we're going to sing a song that we're, we've sung before. It's called Make Room. And, and the title's really fitting. If you, if you don't get it, come talk to me. <laughs> I'd be happy. To, but it's okay. I, I pray that as we head into communion, you would make room in humility for God to be the Lord of your life, the master of your life. And, and that means all areas. But he, in order for him to do his work and for good things to happen, we have to remain in him and he's, we have to remain in the life of his blood that he gives us. And he, he wants to move in you. He's here. He wants to move in you. So as we, as we sing this, um, make room, however that looks for you. If you need to stand in worship, then stand in worship. So make room for him. If you need to kneel, then kneel. If you need to stay seated and not sing, don't sing. Make room in your heart for God to bring life, to bring goodness, because no good thing comes apart from him. He wants to do that in you and for you. So as we take communion, remember why we can do that. And I pray that you would just make room for him.
just continue praying for a moment. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your mercy, your grace, your favor. Thank you that though we are, um, that we are sinful, you are merciful. Thank you that you sacrificed yourself as a substitute for our sins. We're eternally indebted to you for that. We gather this morning because we want to honor you. We want to sing praises to you. We want to look at your word that we might learn to live more like you would wish for us to live, kind of become more the people you have in mind for us to be. You know that your dream is that we would become living representations of you, extending grace and mercy and love and goodness throughout the earth. And we want to align our lives with you to that end. So we thank you for making it possible through your word and your spirit, through your shed blood. And now as we look at your word together, just ask God that you would speak. And everybody would know that it's you from your word speaking. It's not me. It's not just our imagination. But that you would touch our hearts and lives in such a way that we would be more fully formed into the image of Jesus. That's what we want. That's what we need. Our world desperately needs that. So help us to that end. Thank you for your grace. And thank you for this time. And every person within the sound of my voice, bless them this morning. It's in Christ's name I lift this prayer. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Southwoods. It's good to see you, whether you're here on site. I love seeing your smiling, happy faces. It's wonderful for the, have you, those of you who are online with us as well. And and those of you who are here, you may not realize it, but we still, we have hundreds of people who watch online a routine basis from all over the place. And uh, so, uh, yay, uh, yay all of our tech people who helped make that possible. And, and not only people that watch us live as it's happening, but people who access it after the fact as well, because they couldn't do it during this time frames for some reason. So praise God for that. Well, have you ever wondered what Jesus' secret to living right was. Have you ever thought to yourself, how, how does he do that? Have you ever thought, you know, what is it that enabled him to live such an extraordinary life? What we tend to do is we look at that and we think, oh, it's because he was God in a human body. And we sort of relegate it to that. But he was fully human, just like you, just like me. So what was it that enabled his life to be a walking representation of righteousness day in, day out, regardless of what came his way in the course of a given day. Really, when you boil it all down to it, there are a couple of things. Obviously, the Word of God, he was, it was incarnate in him. But beyond that, what we find, if we look to the Bible, is that Jesus' life was marked by continual prayer. And continual prayer transforms anyone's mind, thoughts, spirits who engage themselves in that. If you look at Jesus, before every significant event in his life, Jesus could be found on his knees praying. Before Jesus began his ministry, you look in Scripture, what do you find Jesus doing? He's fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. I haven't fasted for 40 days and 40 nights anywhere, you know, for uh, ever. You know, I've got a couple of friends I know who have, but how about you? I'm guessing most of us not. Before Jesus you know, chose his disciples, what did he do if you look in Scripture? Went up into the hills by himself, prayed all night long. 
Before Jesus was betrayed and crucified, Jesus spent an hour, solid hour, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. His disciples couldn't do it, but he did it. Made all the difference in the world. I could go on with this kind of thing, but whether... What you and I have to realize is that whether it was these significant moments, these watershed moments, or whether it was just the routine mundane moments of life, Jesus was constantly in a state of prayer. He was constantly talking to the Father. His life was marked by continual prayer. In fact, it was such an important and influential part of his life that the Bible tells us in Luke 11:1 1, that once when Jesus had been out praying, one of his disciples came to him as he finished and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. You know, thankfully, Jesus honored his disciples' request. Because in Matthew 6, where I'd like you to open your Bibles now, if you have your Bibles, with them, open it to Matthew 6. But in Matthew 6, we find Jesus teaching his disciples then and now how to pray. And he does that by giving them a prayer that's become famous. Probably of all the prayers of Jesus... So whole lot of passages in Scripture that people don't know. I mean, they know John 3.16. They know a few other things, a lot of people. But this prayer that we're going to look at this morning is a famous prayer. It's probably the most widely known prayer of Jesus. We know it as the Lord's Prayer. Some of us grew up reciting it in gatherings like this. They kind of recite it as, uh, in unison in church in the old King James English and and certainly that has its place. But today, I want to invite you to think of the Lord's Prayer a little differently. I want you to reflect on it with me this morning. We're going to look at it together and get a little coaching from Jesus on how to pray. Because he wasn't just praying a prayer to be recited. He was praying a prayer in a memorable fashion for reasons beyond that. I want us to reflect on this passage together. And we'll spend a few moments at the end of my message after we've talked about it some I've got a, a few minutes, not a long period of time, but a few minutes for us to pray together at the end. And um, so I hope you'll uh, just engage with me fully on this whole matter of prayer. Maybe some of you are familiar with this prayer. Familiarity sometimes blinds us. And so my encouragement to you is to say, if you're thinking to yourself, oh, I'm, I'm familiar with this. I, you know, I already know all this. No, you don't. No, you don't. That's the evil one whispering in your head because none of us, knows all of this. I mean, we all can learn as the Holy Spirit teaches us from His Word. So open your heart up. Here's how Jesus taught His disciples to pray. I'll be using the New Living Translation this morning as we work our way through the text, not the, the King James Version. So that in and of itself will be an adjustment for some of us, but you'll see why as we, we go. In Matthew 6, verses 9 and following, Jesus says this, pray like this. I just pause right. Pray like how? Like this is what He's saying. So He this is like not rocket science here. He's telling us how to pray. He's not just giving us something to recite here. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, if you're reading the New Living Version, at this point, it ends. 
goes on. But if you're reading the old King James Version, it adds a doxology at this point that's familiar to, to many of us. It records Jesus concluding the prayer with these words, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, the newer translations omit that doxology because not all of the original manuscripts record it. That's why it's not there in the New Living or some of the other translations. But since most of the old trans original translations include it, I personally wish the translators would have included it and just made a footnote that not everybody has it. But you know what? I didn't translate the Bible. So it didn't work that way. But that's why it's not there in, in one, some translations, why it is in others. So with that said, for today's purposes, as we work our way through this, I'm going to include it, okay, as we talk about this. Some of you say, oh, I wish it was going to be shorter. Just leave it out. <laughs> but no, I'm going to include it. But it'll be, we're going we're to move here. Uh, with that said, today's, uh, for today's purposes, I want to encourage you to think of this prayer, hear me, as a template for prayer. Or if that word, that metaphor doesn't stick with you, think of it as a model prayer, an example, an outline to use for praying, a guide, a prayer guide, a prayer primer, if you will. I mean, it's not just something to be recited as each of these lines, but really from God's perspective, I believe part of what Jesus was driving at here is he's saying there's, there's all these various segments of things that need to be a part of your prayer life. I'm going to lump them all together in one prayer. And if you will take each of those segments and sort of order your prayers around those segments, you'll be talking to the Father about things that really matter to him. And the truth is, really matter to you too. This is really what's going on here, I believe. All of us can learn to pray this way, the way that Jesus, I believe, is teaching here. I would say that of all the things that I've done in my prayer life, this has been one of the most transformational things in my personal prayers. A couple other things that I would say too, but that's for another day. This is one of the key things in my personal prayer life that, that opened up my prayer life in ways that nothing else really did. And so for the next moments, a few moments, I hope you'll listen really close as I quickly walk us all through the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to break this into seven segments because I believe there are seven segments here. And I think if you listen close, I think what I'm going to share with you will help your prayer life. And if you're already a praying person, it'll enrich your prayer life. It really will. So let's get started. First off, we find that the Lord's Prayer simply begins by addressing God, hear me, in an endearing manner. What do I mean by that? He begins by praying, O great King of the universe. Is that right? No. He's not praying to God as King or Creator, Supreme Ruler of the universe. He says, Father, Father. Because if we begin our prayers that way, it puts us in the right frame of mind to understand who it is that we're praying to and the primary manner in which he wants to relate to us. I mean, he wants, he wants to be our Father, and he wants us to humbly be his children. And then it clarifies which Father we're praying to when the Scriptures say our Father in heaven, our heavenly Father, the one who dwells in the heavens, as some of the translations say. 
Now, here's the thing. When you and I think of heaven, we have a tendency to envision some far-off remote place, distant in the universe, and think to ourselves, if I'm going to talk to God, i got to shout really loud because he's way, way out there. Right? Is that how we think sometimes? That, is, that could not be further from the truth. That's a pun. Further from... Anyway, I didn't plan that. It just happened. Uh, the biblical view of heaven is that it's a lot closer than we routinely think. Heaven or the heavens. In fact, if we had time, if we wanted to have a Bible study and translate the Greek into English, what you'd find is the word heaven in the original Greek text is not singular. It's plural. Why? Because there's not heaven, there's heavens. It's plural. That's a whole other subject that we could diesel on a long time. It's fascinating. Fascinating. The dimensions of reality that God has been fully aware of and created and that you and I are oblivious to because, you know, we like cars and houses and material stuff. But it's, it's truly fascinating. Here's the point, though. Heaven, from a biblical perspective, the heavens, as God views it, is the air and space that envelops and surrounds you and me and all that exists. And it is the dwelling place of God. So when you and I begin the Lord's Prayer and we say, Our Father in heaven, or our Father who dwells in the heavens, we need to think, hear me, of the nearness of... How, how close is the air that you breathe? Rather close. In fact, if, if God is this close, as close as the air that I breathe, you know what? You probably don't have to shout to God. A whisper will do. A whisper will do. Because he hears everything. Here's the fascinating thing. The heavens begin in the space around us. But the heavens exist, expand out into the distant, most remotest parts of the galaxies and the universe. And God fills all of the space, all of it, with his fullness and his goodness. So when we pray our Father in the heavens, we need to think of the nearness of our Heavenly Father and yet the vastness of His domain and power. He inhabits the very air that you and I breathe, the very space that we occupy, but His presence extends throughout and beyond the known universe and so far out there that we can't even grasp it. Science at its highest levels can't fathom the extent of the universe even to this day. That's what Jesus had in mind when he said, taught us to pray, our Father dwells in the heavens. And then Jesus adds in the King James, a second segment, hallowed be thy name, or in the newer translations they say, may your name be kept holy. Essentially the idea of the statement is, a statement of reverence, a statement of respect, a statement of honor. And by these words, Jesus is teaching us the importance of verbalizing to our Heavenly Father the extent to which we treasure Him and value Him and uniquely respect Him, so much so that we revere the very name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We we recognize that it's special and set apart. 
Scriptures convey over and over that we're to cherish him more than anyone or anything. All of that is wrapped up in this whole idea of hallowed be thy name. It's like the angels who cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty constantly before the throne of God. 24-7 just never stops. This is what happens. If that's true in your prayers, how often... Do you spend time extolling the greatness, the grandeur of the God you're reaching out to? How often do you do that? If you're like me, a lot of times I kind of, I could do better in this area, let's say. I could do better in this area. But here's the thing. God deserves for us to constantly remind him and ourselves in the process of his glory and his majesty, of his of his compassion, of his might, of his mercy toward those who humble themselves before him. He deserves for us to remember that he, of all beings in the universe, deserves to be feared. And yet, amazingly, he has presented himself to us in Christ as merciful, humble, extolling the greatness, the virtues, the glory of God. Hear me. This is one of the chief reasons why I think Jesus has us doing this. You know what it does when you and I in prayer spend time, you know, more than a sentence or a few words, extolling the greatness of God? You know what happens to your prayer? It builds faith in you. It builds faith in you because you're you're sort of coming online mentally and spiritually with who it is that you're addressing in the heavenly realms. You're not just whining or complaining about something. What are you doing? You're appealing to the great and glorious, loving, majestic, powerful, glorious beyond description God of the heavens and the earth who made himself manifest in Christ. That's what you're doing. It builds faith. And that's really important when you start to think about the third segment because the third segment and the four segments we go on, you know, think about this. Jesus, how many times did he heal somebody and he look at them and say, blank has, your blank has made you well? What was the word? Your faith has made you well. Or we could go to the Gospels and look at passages where the Scriptures say that he went to this town or this city, this location. He could do no miracles because they lacked faith. Do not underestimate the significance of spending time remembering who it is and honoring the one that you're appealing to. It's not just because he wants to hear you drone on about his greatness. He's familiar with those things already. Okay? He knows that. And he's humble, more humble than any of us. But it builds faith in us as well. And then Jesus states another segment. He states what ought to be the dominant request of anyone who truly knows God, knows his intentions, know what he's up to in the world. Jesus says to pray this. May your kingdom Come soon. May your will be done here on earth. 
just as it is in the heavens. Now, perhaps you've not thought much about it, but our world is filled with lots of kingdoms, lots of them. Anyone ever heard of the chief's kingdom? It's one of the little ones. It's one of the little kingdoms, truthfully. One of many. Obviously, God is concerned about nations that we reflexively think of as the kingdoms of our world. But there are many other kingdoms that are just important, as important to God. And here's the thing. If all of these kingdoms don't fly in formation, if they don't all seamlessly integrate into God and His will and His ways, what happens? Dysfunction, right? To some degree or another, mayhem and dismay and sin proliferates and death is made worse. I mean, in the sense that it's just propagates throughout the earth or evil is perpetuated. And so there are countless numbers of kingdoms that God cares deeply about, all of which coming into alignment with His will on the earth, just as His will is carried out in the heavens. You know, in our homes, your home, my home, someone's influence rules and reigns there. Do you realize it's a kingdom? It's a kingdom. Is it truly God's influence that reigns there or your kids? Do your kids dictate? Are they the kings and queens of the house? How about uh, some media personality or entertainer? Is that the person that's, that defines character, behavior, priorities? Is that how it happens? Who's king in your home? In your workplace? Kingdom exists. Kingdom exists. Somebody's in charge there. Someone's influence rules and reigns. Whose is it? Whose is it? Here's what you and I have to think about. Would things be different if God's will and ways were genuinely being carried out in your workplace or in your home or in chief's kingdom or somewhere else just as his will is carried out in the heavens? Of course things would be different, right? Lots of things would be different. If anything, I think sometimes we grow content. We settle for mediocrity in respect to these. We, we grow comfortable with sin around us. And, you know, it's like the frog in the kettle, you know, that slowly the temperature increases. And before you know it, the frog's boiling. Put it in when it's, it's not boiling. You know, PETA would love this illustration. But uh, it's... But, I mean, used to do this in, uh, years ago back when we were barbarians, you know, in biology classes. You know, they do stuff like this, and you kind of go, oh, I get, the, I get the picture. But here's the thing. God's kingdom, the prayer of Jesus is, may your will be done on earth. May your kingdom come. Your will be done in all things. In all things, as it's done in the heavens. Which means his dream is that things at home and play, on the playground and in the city streets and in the workplace and in entertainment and in government and at school and on and on it could go. God's dream is that his will, his rule, his goodness, his virtues would prevail in all of those places. 
And if God's will prevails in all of those places, part of what changes is that people begin to shamelessly adore and love God and be freed from sin. There's no more hunger. There's no more enemies. They stop fighting. Aesthetic beauty begins to flourish. Fear and deception becomes eliminated. Hearts of stone become tender towards God and towards each other. And I could go on, but nowadays we hear these kinds of things and we think to ourselves, is that kind of world even possible anymore? Can this world ever be that dramatically redeemed from sin? Hear me. It won't be if we don't pray. It won't be. As the angel told the virgin, think about that, the virgin Mary, who was about to conceive a son, Nothing's impossible for God. But often we have not because we ask not, Jesus says. So Jesus models for us and instructs us here to pray, to pray that God's kingdom, His rule, His reign would take root, it would flourish on every square inch of soil on this planet, in every life, in every institution, in every home. And it's interesting to me that Jesus instructs us in the New Living here, at least, is the way they've translated it. He instructs us to ask that all of this will happen when? What's verse 10 tell us? May your kingdom come soon, soon. Plead with God for speed. Because every minute that passes, there's another life that passes. Opportunity has passed. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is everywhere in the heavens. Fourth segment of Jesus' prayer is that Jesus continues teaching us with these words, he says, give us this day our daily bread, the King James says, or the NIV, or, or the newer translations say, give us today the food we need. That's what the New Living says. Hope you realize this is more than just a prayer about food. If he's given us just something to recite, he left out a whole lot of things, a whole lot of things that we need. And I can assure you, Jesus, according to Matthew 6, where we read on in the text, what he's talking about, you can be assured that your heavenly Father knows everything you need. He knows that. So he's, he's not just saying pray about food here. This is a request certainly for food, but it's a request for God to provide for us today everything we really need. We need food, food for the body, food for the soul, food for the spirit, food for our mind, food for life, for every aspect of life. We need resources, we need fuel, we need insight, we need vision, we need a word from God. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. Jesus says this when he's tempted by the evil one. It's not just about food, we need, we need guidance, we need a word from God on my life and my situation today. And so when he says, pray, you know, give us this day our daily bread, he's, he's not just talking about Bread. He's talking about whatever you need in life. 
Which means if you're concerned about your job or your health or your financial situation, what's Jesus saying here? Pray, pray. If you're troubled about the choices that you see someone you care about making, what should you do? Pray. You need wisdom for dealing with an antagonistic teenager or spouse or child, or if you need discipline yourself as much as you discipline yourself as much as you need to discipline anybody else in the life, what do you do? Pray, pray. Whatever is going on in your life, whatever you need, pray. That's what Jesus is saying. Like a humble child, ask God to give you whatever you need, whether it's physical, emotional, relational, spiritual, something else. Entrust yourself to God by praying, give us today the food we need. And here's the thing. Some of us think we're doing God a favor sometimes. This is the evil one, but he whispers it to all of us at some point in time in our life. Sometimes we think... Well, I don't want to bother God with that. Does that sound as lame to you as it is? I don't want to bother God with that. He's got more important things to deal with. Of course he does. But here's the point. Jesus says, pray like this. It's rather direct. Give us today our daily bread, food for our bodies, food for our souls, food for our spirits, food for our minds, food for life. Give us, Lord, I need it. The appeal of God is because he knows everything you need, not you don't need to pray because he knows everything you need. He's just waiting for us to ask, waiting for us to ask because he's humble and not inclined to push himself on us. So Jesus teaches us to pray like that about our daily bread. And then he goes on instructing us to pray, forgive us our debts or our trespasses or our sins, depending on your translation. Forgive us our, our debts, our trespasses, our sins, as we forgive those who trespass or sin or are indebted to us. You know, with these words, Jesus is teaching us several things, but he's teaching us to routinely, verbally ask our loving Heavenly Father for forgiveness, for mercy, for pity, for the many wrongdoings that are part of my life, your life, all of our lives. He's saying it's, it's appropriate to come before God even though He's demonstrated His grace to you, even though Jesus has shed His blood for you. It's appropriate to approach God from a state of humility and say, Father, forgive me for for X, Y, and Z things in my life. We don't want to remember those things. And on Judgment Day, Scripture's clear, God's not going to remember those things about you. But what is beneficial for every single one of us is to remember them every time we hit our knees to pray because it reminds us, I'm a sinner and I'm coming into the presence of a holy and righteous and glorious being and God who, who cares about me as Father, but I don't deserve this. 
And let me just say, in an age of entitlement, which is the day we live in, the most humble and righteous of us in our day are entitled in our minds in ways we have zero concept of except God were to expose it or we travel to some other places and begin to realize in those environments how entitled I am at certain times. I, I, in a world of entitlement, I think God is trying to say to us, Jesus is trying to teach us humility. If we will come before the Father and appeal to Him through the forgiveness that He's already offered us, it acknowledges His goodness and it reminds me in non-condemnatory ways of my undeserving nature of this. And that's the right place, the right place of spirit to be, to be talking to a holy and righteous God. Skip forgiveness. People start waltzing into the throne room of God, telling God what they think he needs to do for them. How do you think that's going to go over? He might be merciful because it's sort of his nature, but... Don't expect that you're going to walk out of the throne room with what you've asked for. Just don't. But it's interesting to me, Jesus, in telling us to pray this way, also wants us to understand that as sinners, we don't have the right. It is not our privilege to withhold forgiveness from someone else. That doesn't settle well with many of us. Because many of us have been hurt deeply. And what happens inside of us is sometimes because we've got pain in our lives, we just think it would not be just if they got off scot-free from me. Hear me. It would not be just if you got off scot-free from Jesus and from God. Do you, see, do you see this? Here's the way it works, and this is why Jesus words the prayer the way he does. If you want to be judged according to a standard of mercy, this is so important, so important. I think the unpardonable sin is unforgiveness. We don't have time to go off on that, but I think it is. It's the cause of every divorce, not, mer not, not money, not a whole lot. It's unforgiveness. It's unwillingness to forgive because I've just had to forgive you so many times. You don't deserve it. And so suddenly now we pull back. Here's the deal. Jesus is saying in, in the way he words this, if you want to be measured by the Father from a standard of mercy, which there is no other good standard that you approach a holy and righteous God. There's no other. But if you want to be measured by a standard of mercy, evaluated by Him on that, guess what? you got to start living according to that standard as it relates to everybody in your life. Everybody. Not just the people you think deserve it. In particular, towards the people who don't deserve it. Because any old idiot can show mercy to somebody who we think deserves it. But the challenge to become Christ-like is to forgive those who don't deserve it.
It's Jesus praying from the cross, Father, forgive them. Remember? They don't know what they're doing. Is that true? I want you to think about it. Is this true that everybody that Jesus had at the foot of the cross saying they don't know what they do? Some of them actually did understand. But he's praying, Father, forgive them. Even those who sort of understand, still don't fully understand. And he's appealing to us to pray like he prays in this respect. This is such a huge thing. It's so important to Jesus that when he finishes the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, he picks up in Matthew 6, uh, 14 and 15, and he says this, to emphasize how big a deal of this is. He says, to clarify, because he knew there'd be debate. He says, if you forgive those who, for, who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, what's it say? Read it. Your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus, couldn't you put that a little more poetically or something? Couldn't you make it, you know? We would love it if that was more obscure. You have to remember, we're praying to the God who says, pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. And here he's saying, Pray for them this way. Forgive us our sins. And hear me. We're asking God, forgive me of my sins as I have forgiven those who sin against me. Which means, as sinners, you and I can't afford to withhold forgiveness from anyone. And a regular part of our prayers need to be for my forgiveness and releasing people who are a part of my life who've hurt me or offended me or rubbed me the wrong way or maybe done diabolical things in my life. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't say that we have to jump up and down with enthusiasm at the end of that, like suddenly I feel like I've totally forgiven them and everything, but we need to have, be in a state of mind and spirit where I'm I'm praying blessing on them. They don't deserve it, but God, neither do I. I could spend a long time on this, if you can't tell. I could do more. But this is a key part of prayer. And then Jesus continues. He teaches us to ask the Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or some of the newer translations say it this way, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. The evil one's fundamental weapon against you and me is temptation and trials and suffering and hardships and bad things that he brings into our lives that um, often we're tempted to blame God for. Since Jesus himself was tempted in all of these ways, do you think we really ought to be surprised if we, his children, are tempted in the same ways too? I mean, it just stands to reason. If the master has this happen, guess what? The servant's going to do too. It's going to happen to us. It's part of life. Whether we like it or not, whether we think it's just or not, it is. So we're just better off getting over it and humbling 
ourselves before God and appealing to him for strength, for deliverance from temptation, from the evil one, the evil systems of our world. And then finally, we come to the doxology of the prayer, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This phrase is simply acknowledging that the kingdom, the capital K kingdom, if you want, the one that Scripture teaches us is going to swallow up all other kingdoms of the earth. The kingdom is His. It's His alone. And I'm good with that. And the power, it's all His. And I'm good with that. And any power that's in my life or any little cap, lowercase kingdom that I oversee, you know, it's just kind of like I'm bringing it before God. It's, it's yours. And whatever power and influence you've given me in my life, it's yours. And the glory, which is all the credit and praise and adoration and the applause of people and everything else, all of that, it's yours. Forever. Forever. And it's essentially to say, that's how it rolls with me. I'm good with that. I want it that way. Because you deserve it. These are the kinds of things that Jesus is telling his disciples in this passage to regularly be praying about. And so before I close, what I want to do is I just want to give us a couple of moments to pray. I'm not going to make it long because I just looked at the clock. I was looking at the wrong clock, so <laughs> forgive me. I told Lori this morning, I had, this was so hard because it's like every time I go through these notes, it's like I have other things coming to my mind that aren't in the notes, and I'm trying to figure out how do I say it? How do I do this? And honestly, I could do, I could do multiple weeks on this, but, but that doesn't, it's not necessarily helpful. What's ultimately helpful for us is not hearing more. It's putting into practice what we've heard. And so before we close, I want to give you a chance to, to try this a little bit, at least with one of the segments or two of them or something in a few moments of silence. And, and think of it, as I was saying, a prayer primer, a prayer starter. So you might start out, you know, Father God who dwells in the heavens, give me today my daily bread. And then what I want you to do is just launch into elaborating on the, whatever important needs or concerns are part of your life. You see what I'm saying? You can, you can pick that segment and, and, and camp there for a while. Or maybe uh, you could pray, Father, please don't let me yield to temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. And then you could begin to elaborate with the, with the Father about the temptations, whatever trials or struggles are a part of your life right now. And seek him for strength and deliverance and apologize for times when you maybe blame him for what's not him. I mean, he's allowed it, yes, so he could interrupt it if he chose to. But the fact is, he's not the one beating on you, making your life miserable. It's the evil one. And so just pleading with him, recognizing that he's the only person on your side in this instance, and you need his help to get out. So plead with him about that. Plead with him for that. Or maybe it's, Father, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done here on earth just as it is in heavens. And elaborate on some areas of our world or your life where you want God's rule, his reign to more consistently manifest itself. 
Just do that as God leads you. And I think if you do that, God will hear your prayers. God will meet you where you are today. But he'll do it tomorrow and the next day and every day and every time you pray this way. Maybe sometimes you'll have extended block of time and you can pray this way with the whole passage. And you just kind of work your way through the segments. Or maybe you wake up in the middle of the night like I do sometimes and you just, it's like there's some aspect of this that's in my head and I just begin to pray, verbalize that in my, in my, in my spirit as I'm praying in bed, you know, in the middle of the night. You think, what do I do? I wake up in the middle of the night. What do I do? How about lay there and pray? This is what Jesus did. And he had an extraordinary life because of it. It's God's dream for all of us. So let's bow our heads together. Actually, why don't you stand with me? Because how we're going to close is I'm going to give you a few minutes, a couple of minutes, two minutes. So I'm going to do two minutes. And um, then I'll lead us in. A, I'll verbalize our closing prayer. And if you have needs of any kind in your life, come on down afterwards. We'll pray for you. But uh, glad you made it today. Hope you'll put this into practice. It's the prayer of Jesus. Really, it's the prayer of Jesus' disciples, the prayer of his children. It's really what it should have been named. So. All right, let's bow our heads. You pray. Lord Jesus, we just want to honor you. We want to thank you for your mercy, your grace. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have made it possible for us to communicate with you and your mercy you've reached out to us. And I ask for all of us, Father, that you would give us the gift of being able to seek you through prayer and encounter you and see your power at work, and lives changed, ours included along the way. We thank you, Lord, that there is no giant in our world that you can't slay and defeat if your people will in humility seek you 
And so we ask that your kingdom might come and that your will might be done on earth in all things, exactly as it's done in the heavens. Would you give us everything we need, body, soul, spirit, guidance from your Holy Spirit, that we might partner with you in the fulfillment of your will in this world. Oh, Lord, would you forgive us of our many sins, Lord, those that we're aware of, those that we're unaware of. Would you cleanse us from all unrighteousness? We thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. And a request of you, Lord, is that if there's anybody in my life that I have not forgiven, bring their names to my mind, Lord Jesus. Please bring them to my mind. I want to forgive as you have forgiven me. Help me. Help us to be forgiving children of yours, living by a standard of mercy, entrusting all justice and all judgment to you, the sovereign Lord of the universe, but who mercifully is our Father. We thank you. Thank you. Lord, would you help us to not yield to temptation, to evil. Give us the strength to overcome. And Father, we'll give you the credit for every deliverance. We will recognize you because all things are yours. Every kingdom in this world and in my life belongs to you, and I'm good with that. It should be that way. Yours is the kingdom and the power and all the glory is yours forever and ever and ever. Everybody agreed with me and said, amen, amen. That's the way we want it to be. Lord, bless you all as you head out and I'm glad you made it today.